You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For The Now media production. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Null and Void Sports Podcast. One dozen attempts to make you, the listener, our very best friend. My name's Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. <laughs> so, Tony, um, this week you've been uh, out walking again on the Thames. How did that go? Yeah, it wasn't actually on the Thames, it was by the side, but, you know, that, we'll save that for another time. But, <clears throat> yeah, it was this, I've been saying for the last few weeks, we've got this last section, my very good friends, Pete and Liz Turner. <clears throat> and they, there was the last section, I don't know if you know it, was Waterloo to the Thames Barrier. Now, personally, that's not a section of the Thames or London that I'm that familiar with. So it was, it was interesting in a kind of new way in a different way and it, it takes into account things like obviously the barrier itself when you get there but you've got things like London Bridge, O2 Arena, Cutty Sark and the barrier is quite impressive but I didn't know after the O2 though there was a cable car. You've been on that haven't you? Yeah yeah it goes from there across um, I think it, at, at one point it was sponsored by Emirates so um, great fun to go across it even more fun when you take on a friend who's scared of heights uh, <laughs> and watch him absolutely turning green and petrified and clinging to the edge especially as you then start to pull at the door and say do these things open? Well, <laughs> so... that, that's a very personal point because Peter who was with me walking at that time said he said I, I, and he's not very good on hikes and he said do you think I'd be all right? And I said, yeah. I said, and the other thing is, once it sets off, you've no option. <laughs> you've no option. But it does look quite interesting, so I didn't even know that existed. So we did the trip, I think 13 and a half miles, so nothing in your terms, but seven hours on, on your feet uh, is much longer than I would normally do with my sort of 40-minute running or whatever. But it, it, was, it was good. I, I enjoyed it. Now, Andy, I want to ask you, what about the Lions and the defeat and the, you know, the deadly boring game it was? Oh, it was it was turgid. I, I think we'll we'll gloss over the one hour video made by the South Africa coach stroke water boy, um, which has now infam- infamously been called Razzie's Rant. He's been uh, where he, uh, he's not been sacked. He's been cited. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's a ch- been charged by the world rugby so uh for criticizing the officials in his post i mean he pretty much turned the guns on everyone and anything but you could argue well it worked because uh mm. the officials seemed uh sort of almost i wouldn't be unfair to say scared to make a decision but certainly second guessing themselves on all of the decisions that they made on the weekend and everything that could went up to the uh video ref and everything so it was it was i think uh, a very stop-start game. Um, certainly the Lions, I, I'm, I'm still struggling to say exactly what the game plan of the Lions was. It seemed to be kick the ball to South Africa and wait for them to kick it back, but better uh, was sort of the way it went. And obviously not a great, not a great performance, certainly a turgid game, not even one for the, uh, not even one for the died in the wool fans. And I think, uh, you know, the result certainly showed that. I think, you know, it sets it up nicely for this weekend in terms of a cliffhanger decider. Um, Gats has named his team with a few changes and a few surprises today. So uh, 
I think he's he's shuffled the pack, uh, shuffled the deck, and see what we can come up with this weekend. But I just hope hope it's more of a spectacle and more of an enjoyable game, irrespective of the result this weekend, because it was um it 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 was tough, it it, it was turgid. Yeah, and that's that's the nicest thing you can say about it, I think. <laughs> now talking about uh, F one now, switching to that and Hamilton, it doesn't you know. Every race at the moment, there's big incidents. Uh, and I, I, as I understood it, uh, Hamilton ended up in second place, although at one point he was last. And, and, you know, he's now eight points clear in the championship. So never a dull moment in F1 at the moment. No, um, again, I've got to admit, not a close follower of it. So I only saw the headlines from that one. But yeah, it, it sort of seems to be that the decisions are being made as much off the track as they are on the track in terms of outcomes of races, you know, through, again, judicial reviews and um, stewards <coughs> inquiries, as they would call it in horse racing. So uh, yeah, it seems to be a lot of sort of different decisions being made there and quite uh so it must be tough as a fan who's there at the, the event watching it and thinking you've seen a result and then an hour later a different result comes through. Sounds like VAR, doesn't it? Anyway, <laughs> passing on quickly, it has to be the Olympics as the next subject. 15 goals so far, as I understand, today, Tuesday, uh, and, and two in, in um, sailing today, just today, Tuesday. So yeah. pretty good. Pretty good, a variety of sports. And, you know, I think that's one of the beauties of the Olympics, isn't it? That you've got triathlon, eventing, uh, uh, mixed events, BMX, skateboarding. I think it's been really entertaining stuff. I, I've absolutely loved the, uh, got it really into the BMX racing last week. I think it's fast, it's furious, it's frenetic. There's crashes, there's all sorts happening. Um, helped that GB were winning medals there as well that's always a, a good way of bringing in uh, my, my support but I just loved the the whole approach of it and I thought there was a great comment from one of the coaches about setting up one of the programs in the inner cities where he was saying about he was worried about the future of some of the some of these kids and he said so I, I decided I had to get them behind bars handlebars and I thought that was a really nice, you know, touch in terms of saying that actually, again, this is an Olympics for everyone. It's not just, you know, sometimes it can be seen as the money that's involved in getting to the top can maybe be <laughs> make it a little bit more exclusive. And certainly some of the sports might come across as a bit more exclusive. Um, but this one was saying definitely for everyone. Uh, the other one was the mixed relay events, the triathlon, again, the shorter version I thought that was great as a sort of a fast and high tempo event. And then I really enjoyed watching the tactics in the mixed medley, the swimming, you know, which yeah. te some teams were looking yeah. at and saying, do we front load with our male swimmers who are a little bit faster than our female swimmers? Do we mix it up? And again, then the GB team coming in with a uh, world record gold medal. And what I really liked there was it was, and I, 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 apologize because I missed her name but one of the Australian commentators who was part of the sort of when the Aussies ruled the pool in the 90s and noughties and she came back and you could tell it's that sort of Australian mentality to the sport she said because they said um oh the gold you know the gold medal and the record she said yeah world records can be broken but a gold medal's forever 
And I thought that's that Aussie approach to sport right there in terms of, you know, you can't take this away from them. They've won that gold medal. So fantastic. And then today with the Kennys becoming the most uh, successful British male and female uh, Olympians of all time. So great to see them uh, getting those silver medals today to take that. They've actually won more medals as a couple than some countries have won. So it's just amazing to see that. Interesting with the cycling, Novik, they got silver and it was almost disappointing because, you know, for so long cycling has dominated. We've dominated the cycling. It's cyclical, obviously, but it, it, it was interesting today that people were kind of saying they have done well, but we just we almost expected gold. And, it, you know, it's kind of positioning cycling. Yeah, it's cyclical. We've had a very good time. And we'll come again on it. But that's just interesting. Two, two silvers there. Mm. OK, uh, so much to come. It's obviously the final week. We'll know so much more by the time we're here next week. And football's just round the corner again, isn't it? You were making a point to me the other day about Celtic. What a start they haven't had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the coach whose name I'm going to completely butcher, but Ange... Pojakoklu um, or Pojakoklu, um, the uh, <laughs> former Australia coach, he's come in and I think he must be looking at it saying a month in, what on earth have I taken on? Um, <laughs> they're already out of the Champions League. They lost to Hearts at the weekend, so they're already three points behind Rangers and Rangers only dropped 12 points in the whole of last season. Um, they've got problems off the pitch in terms of they're not sure who exactly is running the club. Is it the owner? Is it the chairman? They're coming out and saying different different things. Um, they've been pretty much silent in the transfer market through the summer. So for a, what's one of Scotland's two biggest clubs and a huge club, they really have got some challenges. By the end of August, they could be six to nine points behind Rangers. They could be out of the... Europa Cup, the Europa Conference, the Europa Tea Cup, Egg Cup, Spoon, whatever the different levels of tournament are now in Europe, and could be real problems. So I think he's sort of taken on a bit of a poison chalice there. They haven't actually won an away game since February. Now, interestingly, if we met a Celtic supporter and they also happen to be a Derby County supporter... What kind of mental state are they going to be in? I mean, apparently they've got nine players signed on at the moment. They're starting their campaign at weekend. I think it's fair to say Wayne Rooney's had one or two other problems recently. So it doesn't look good for them, does it? No, I mean, as you say, judging by the photos that were released by those models that Rooney was out with the other night, it doesn't look like he's having sleepless nights about the problems at Derby. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, to st- be starting the season with nine players, I mean, they're obviously going to be scrabbling around to get a team together. It almost feels like uh, some of the am- amateur teams I've coached in rugby where you're phoning around on a Saturday morning to see if you can actually s- scrabble a team together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, all will be revealed because the EFL certainly starts here and Celtic's travails will continue up in Scotland. We ought to name a couple of people here. And actually, what's really lovely about this is they've both been guests on the programme, but they've contacted us after they've been on. Conrad Bartelski contacted us and said how much he enjoyed the interview. 
how, how I enjoyed the process. And Tom Watt, who was on last week, uh, he contacted us and he said, really enjoyed it. Uh, you know where I am now, which is really nice. He's a lovely guy, both of them lovely people and very happy for us to contact them again. And I think that's the best kind of endorsement we could ever get. Definitely, yeah. Um, and we will take them up on that. Definitely. Assured. What about Get a Grip, Andy? Yeah, um, a personal one for me this week, and it's about the Australian and New Zealand rugby league teams pulling out of the Rugby League World Cup that's due to take place in the UK in October and November. Um, they've unilaterally decided they're not going to attend. Uh, they've cited player safety in terms of COVID and all the uh, protocols around that. I think what it boils down to when you look at the fact that the Australian and New Zealand rugby union teams are still both happy to send teams up here in November um, to play the Autumn Internationals. They both sent teams to the Olympics when COVID is still very prevalent in Tokyo. I think what it boils down to more than the concerns my take on it is it might have something to do with the fact that when they return to Australia the players would have to then quarantine for two weeks Australia still has quite strict controls on that which would mean they're unavailable for the start of the domestic season and I think it is a little bit like premiership football here where the uh the tail wags the dog in terms of the clubs control the unions or the, 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 the federations. So they've basically unilaterally pulled out of this. It throws the whole tournament into question. You had for the first time ever running concurrently a men's tournament, a women's tournament and a wheelchair tournament. The whole thing is up in the air now because they pulled out. The players unions have come back and said they want to play. Um, it's just the clubs that don't want the national teams to play so real challenge there um, I'm personally disappointed because I had tickets for a number of the games so uh, I'm watching another event that I was due to go to evaporate and go up in smoke so I think as you've joked uh, off air Tony never buy tickets for events I'm booked in to see over the next couple of years because you never know what will happen but all I've got to say to the Aussie and Kiwi Rugby League federations is get a grip. Yeah, get a grip. Andy's struggling on the ticket front. Right, now, I think it would be a good idea if you did the introductions for our first guest. Yep, really happy to uh, bring in our guest tonight. He's a uh, an osteopath, so can talk to us about sort of injuries and sports and how that all works in his career looking at various different injuries but also the prevention as well as putting Humpty back together again when people have got injured um, and also someone who's was part of the team at London 2012 looking after the athletes there so can get his insights very topical into what happens in the back room part of the Olympics that nobody ever really gets to see. So great pleasure to bring on John McSwinney. Hi, John. How are you doing? Hello, gentlemen. Thank you so much for inviting me. Very nice right. to meet you, Tony. And uh, very good to see you again, Andy. It's been a little while. Has been, has indeed, yeah. For those that um, obviously don't know, uh, John, as well as his professional career as an osteopath, also provides the uh, support for Digcott Rugby Club, who, who I used to coach at. So uh, again, they're looking at 
injury prevention on match days, you know, making sure the players are taped up, patched up, ready to go onto the pitch. And then more importantly, again, fixing them up when they come off the pitch with all the different bumps, ailments, injuries that uh, some of them, some more than others, tend to moan about, <laughs> should we say. Um, and I've, I've personally been on the receiving end of John's very unsympathetic bedside manner when I actually thought I'd broken a finger coaching, um, catching a ball, and it, it sort of sounded like it had snapped. So I wandered over to John at the end of the game and said to him, looking at this, I think it might be broken. And he took a look and said, doesn't look good. Then pulled on it, waited for me to scream and said, yeah, I think you might have broken it. <laughs> it took Great. years of training, Andy. It took years of training to get that good. <laughs> Is it that you have to recognise the pitch of the screen? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. John, that intrigues me about the Olympics obviously being current and your work there, what were the sort of day-to-day -day pressures, I mean, leading up to and during the two weeks off, for you personally? Well, it, it, you know, something like the Olympics is an extraordinary thing to be involved in. It's such a huge entity. And um, once you're invited, you go through a long process of actually getting to the point where you can uh, meet the actual athletes. Um, it, it's it, it's a very different environment. You know, you've got to remember, I suppose, most of us, and particularly at any level in this country, you'll be dealing primarily with the weekend warriors, with the people that are playing at their sports clubs, going out for their runs, doing their cycles, et cetera, et cetera. And then you might have the semi-professional levels where, again, people are probably still having to work, but ultimately you get to the, the elite, the true, true elite. Uh, who are all arriving in one place to, well, their hope is to go back with the rewards, with the medals. Um, and it's, it's a very intense environment. You'll find there's a lot of humour and a lot of, um, uh, particularly after the initial stages when you arrive and you start uh, meeting all the other practitioners, the other professions, because it's a, it's a huge melting pot. And what draws you together, you're all wearing the same uniform. You're all suddenly being put in the same uniform as if you're arriving for the first day at school. <laughs> and it draws you together. So you've got people who are sports medics. You've got the radiologists. Um, uh, you've got what we call cops. And it's generally known within the Olympic environment uh, as cops, which is chiropractors, osteopaths, physiotherapists and sports massage therapists. So the physical therapies. You're all thrown together and drawn together. And at first, it's a bit like, you know, <laughs> uh, you've got lots of views about how the different professions could possibly come together when we're supposed to all be mortal enemies. And of course, the reality is that very often what you end up doing very quickly is identifying what your strengths are or what the strengths of the other professions are, where you can actually start to put that together to create something much more, um, it's rather than uh, sort of individuals working on athletes, you're starting to work together collectively. And it makes it very, very powerful. Um, and it's an extraordinary thing when you're dealing with the, the true elite athletes. They're not necessarily the cheeriest people on the planet. You know, they, you'd think they're gonna be happy to be in this wonderful environment of the athletes village. And, and certainly they do have a great time. They have to fight boredom at quite a high level because there's a lot of waiting 
You know, it's a bit like um, Charlie Watts, the Rolling Stone says, 98% of his life has been sat waiting. And um, if, if you look at how these people come to the point of actually competing, they're, they're very focused, they're very inward. You'll always get the happy ones. Uh, I was very fortunate to also be at the World Athletics Championships at the, um, uh, you're not supposed to say Queen Elizabeth Stadium, the London Stadium. And, uh, you know, you'd see people tragically just yesterday, um, Adam Jamili, who pulled up on his hamstring. Mm. Terrible, because he was he was actually running some extraordinary times. He was competing really well, but he would always be a happy sort of personality, and you'd see him around. We were right beside the uh, the old Olympic Stadium on the warm up track, and that's where the medical facility was. So you saw the world's elite running past you. I mean, literally everybody you can possibly imagine, you know, sort of five feet away running past. Um, and and you'd start to meet them, and they were very focused, incredibly focused. But it's it, the Olympics is is something just a little bit extraordinary, a little bit special, and uh, you know seeing the athletes being together and part of the Olympic village, they won't necessarily notice the lack of fans in that environment because they have all of the other competitors around them. Mm. It's when they come to the venues that you know the silence could be quite telling for them in terms of performance. But they seem to be doing extraordinarily well, and certainly. Team GB are incredible. So yeah, it's a wonderful experience, an incredible environment to be in. But to go to the elite level that quickly, you've you've got to get your game face on. And mm. and with that, John, were you attached to one particular sport, or were you treating and dealing with athletes from a whole host of different sports? Well, yes. For the Olympics, I was actually out at the. Um, uh, principally at the Olympic Village for the rowing, which was based uh, at Royal Holloway College in Egham, because they decided they didn't want to bring the rowers in and out through London to get to the uh, to Eton Dorney, where mm -hmm. the competition was based. So we they set up a separate village, which was kind of lovely because it was almost like just rowers. I I felt. I, I was walking in a land of giants and that's just the women rowers. They were extraordinarily tall. I was dwarfed by the American uh, women's eight who won gold. And I was sort of standing in the middle for a photo because they were, they were so excited. They were dragging anybody that they could grab hold of to get in the photo. And I got stuck between them and they were all sort of way above my head. Extraordinary <laughs> athletes. So I was based there and then I would occasionally go over to Eton Dorney, which was, I don't know if you can remember, it was the most incredible atmosphere the noise they they, they called it the dawny roar or the eton dawny roar it was incredible and you know unfortunately we haven't had such a good olympics with the rowing this, uh, no. this time. No. but then it was extraordinary catherine granger and the four and etc 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 so it, it was uh, an incredible incredible environment and where the medical facility was was literally 20 yards from the finishing line so you were sort of right there in the middle of it um, at the World Athletics, I was very much part of the main, uh, the main treatment space, which was on the warm-up track, as I said, and that was both for the uh, World Athletics and the Power Athletics. So we, I was there for both, and uh, any athlete would just wander in to the facility and um, you know, say, I've hurt X, Y, Z, what can you do? Mm -hmm. What is the process of getting in that position clearly you're good at what you do and so what was the process of you getting involved in 2012 for instance was that a recommendation or a, 
application or how does it work? Uh, principally application, a very long, very long, I mean, well before a year out, you'd be actually starting the process. I mean, I'm, we're just going through the process now of um, applications for uh, Birmingham 2022 which is right. really exciting for the Commonwealths. And, you know, who knows what will happen? Uh, hopefully I'll be able to go, but it is a very, very, very long process. And um, uh, yes, you, you know, you're, you're, you're checked out. They, they make sure that you've got the right personality. The funny thing is that it's not necessarily about just being good or having good hands. It's, it's actually a lot more about being the person to pick up the broom. It's about the person who's prepared to deal with all the dirty towels. It's, it's actually not about you sort of sweep in with your majestic sort of treatment um, <laughs> yeah. uh, approach and uh, suddenly everybody's uh, adoring you because of what you can achieve. It's actually the person who's willing to sweep out at the end of the day, who's willing to sort of you know, enter the data and help other people do so. So uh, you're very much part of uh, a team, but ultimately the selection process was was for London 2012 was a very important thing for us as osteopaths now you've got to remember that physiotherapists have been appearing in um, the Olympic Games uh, for uh, many 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 years in fact they were the, the the focus of the physical therapies now as osteopaths slightly different profession and similar for the chiropractors as well uh, this was truly the first time that osteopaths were invited to be part of any Olympic Games. There had been some chiropractors, I think, at, um, at the Whistler, um, the Vancouver Olympics, um, but it was very much the first time that osteopaths were invited to be part of a Summer Olympics. And it was all really due to one person who tragically passed away just before the Games, a man called Jonathan Betzer, who was very well connected in the world of sport, knew Seb Coe very well. And it was him, effectively, with the support of uh, what we call OSCA, the Osteopathic Sports Care Association, that actually managed to get us to a situation where they would welcome uh, other physical therapies to something as big as the Olympic Games. So for us, that was a, that was a big one. It was a very, very big one. And, and I really do hope it's the start of something for all future young osteopaths to come through, as well as all of the other physical therapies that, you know, have, have become such an important part of big sporting events. Just picking up on that point, John, because I think it's fantastic that, as you say, there's almost something for people in your profession now to aim for at the Olympics as well as as the sports people doing the same but just you mentioned there the sort of the the different physical therapies so an osteopath a chiropractor a physio for the day-to-day -day people who might not know as much about sport who would be out there as you say sort of maybe training pick up an injury what what would they go to each one for specifically what's the difference between the three key professions as you can imagine I have fielded this question more times than I would even begin to. And, and the actual answer is, uh, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer because you will have chiropractors who are very much like osteopaths or physios and the physios that are much more, you know, they use the physiotherapists who use more of the manipulation techniques that we're quite well known for and the chiropractors are known for. Mm -hmm. So there, there's this huge sort of melting pot and you'll find some people will be more one way more the other. I suppose if you were to use broad strokes, and I, and I will probably 
get beaten down by colleagues if they listen and when they listen to this because I'll be waving the banner for you both. Um, Thank you. But uh, I, I suppose you could say that the physiotherapists are particularly skilled at the rehabilitative side of exercise provision. So they're, they're, they're really well trained in, in the provision of specific exercises to start to rehabilitate you back. Now you can rehabilitate from any number of things. Of course, their true skills start in the world of rehabilitation post-stroke, post-acquired brain, uh, brain trauma, mm. any number of things, post-operative. So they, they start from that world and many end up in private practice. And it is often the ones in private practice who've learnt uh, some of the other techniques like the manipulation, et cetera, that then actually go on to do more of the sports side. But, you know, it, it's almost the norm to say, you know, uh, at a sports event, oh, where's the physio? Because it's almost, that's what you're gonna get. You're gonna get mm. a physiotherapist. Whereas that's always, that's changing now. The chiropractors, again, broad strokes, they tend to use, um, they focus on the manipulations quite a lot. So they'll use a lot of the bone cracking stuff. Um, and in fact, osteopaths and chiropractors started pretty much at the same time, 1874 or so in the States or just slightly more than that for the chiropractors. Um, and uh, that came through where particularly the orthodox chiropractors, they will see you um, sometimes for a shorter amount of time, but they talk about alignment and a number of other things where they'll use manipulation. So that leaves sort of us and the sports massage therapists speak for themselves, the sports massage. And I'm a huge advocate of sports massage therapy and massage therapy in general, um, because it, it's staggering what you can achieve with just the simplest of techniques. Mm -hmm. But I suppose if you tried to describe osteopaths in all of this, we use a number of different techniques and we're very dedicated to hands-on. So we're very much hands-on therapists. So it, 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 we don't, some do, but we don't tend to give so much in the way of exercises. We'll be treating the areas. We might use manipulations. We might use deep stretching techniques, lots of soft tissue, et cetera, et cetera. And I suppose our philosophical approach is whole body. So if you come in with a headache on one side and I happen to spot as you're walking down my corridor into the room that you've got a bit of a limp on the left side because your knee's a bit worn, then I'm thinking, okay, what are you doing to compensate to drop over to that side, which is loading ah. into this area? So we, as osteopaths, we tend to be, uh, 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 again, broad strokes, but we tend to be a bit more whole. So we, we are probably body mechanics that use more in the way of treatment. And almost a little bit detective work there of working out what's the sort of the root cause of this, as opposed to Completely. just the symptom. Yeah, absolutely. If, if anybody can find symptoms because they're being told to you, it's, it's to find the cause that's the key and to affect change. And that's why, mm. particularly for sport in the sort of environment we've been talking about, the Olympics, etc., you, you're, you're less likely to be in a situation where you're going to be detective. You're more likely to be reactive. Mm -hmm. um, it is the hope that the physical therapies that um, are available to these athletes, maybe at home, that weren't able to come over with the team, which is why the Olympic Committee uh, and the World Athletics will always have physical therapies available to those athletes that don't have it available, because it's actually quite a high percentage of the total. You know, the American team will bring 57 medics and chiropractors and osteopaths, whatever. They'll, they'll have a massive number. GB will have their own. 
Uh, Australia always bring their own, but you know, I've ended up treating people from Mexico, Algeria, um, New Zealand, uh, on and on and on and on. And these are all people that will have arrived that might have had the potential for the more interactive treatments previously, the detective work, but by then, you're probably looking for a little bit of first aid, a little bit of, you know, I've tweaked this, I've twinged this, can you help? Mm. How hard, John, is it to switch from the level that you've just been talking about with the greatest respect to Dick Rugby Club, you know, uh, to that level? Is it more of the same? Am I getting that wrong? Or is it a difficult mind switch for you? Uh it's no it's a very very good question um the the interesting thing about uh our view certainly my view is that you're actually dealing with another human being now when you're dealing with the elite athlete uh, obviously their primary focus is exactly what they're there to do to achieve you know greatness to achieve the medals the rewards the times and all the other things they're focused on so they have a singular absolute focus but, you know, on, on a basic level, that person turning up to perform for uh, a local rugby club, for um, a local cricket club, whatever, 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 they, they have their passions and their interests. It's a, it's a major part of their life. And I think we always, always have to bear in mind that um, every single person, regardless of their level, should receive exactly the same care from that individual so you know to be slightly sort of you know if if an individual's come in who's I, I i had a patient i saw this afternoon who's got terrible problems with his calf musculature and he wants to run the the ridgeway run now it's only an amateur um uh, it's an amateur uh, charity event but for him it's incredibly important incredibly important i remember i had a patient in who had uh dreadful Achilles tendonitis uh, or a tendinopathy. In fact, it was so uncomfortable and so inflamed and he was running or he wanted to run the London Marathon for his daughter who tragically passed away from cancer. And for him, that moment was way more important than you would think of any elite athlete. So it, 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 I, think, I think the answer to your question is it's the same. You have to have the same application of, of, of purpose and interest and... Um, you know, and then deal particularly with the coaching staff with their floppy fingers. You deal and manage with them in the most abusive way that you possibly can. <laughs> you haven't got time for them. They're, yeah, you don't, them getting injured, coaching staff, what's that oh, all about? They're always <laughs> knocking on the door, trying to get in. <laughs> but I guess as well, I mean, what you mentioned there, John, and, and knowing and having seen the way you work with, with the lads is, is you can do a little bit more of that preventative work mm -hmm. as well um you were saying so almost at the olympics is a little bit more of the the reactive i guess when you've got a longer term relationship with people like you've got with the lads at Dickot, you can start to do well for those that listen to you and take you up on it no, well that's and... that's the point that's exactly <laughs> the point so the um the elite athlete if they are desperate to compete and they're in discomfort and pain they're likely to listen to anything you suggest they wouldn't necessarily be open, but if there's potential for their, their big moment being affected by what they've walked in with, they're going to probably listen to what you're suggesting. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the, yeah, the guy coming in who um, 
you know, you've told for the 15th time how <laughs> to stretch their calf musculature or how they should be treating their whatever. It, you know, it, it, it can get a bit um, frustrating. Yes. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, that doesn't stop you from from trying to convince them each time. Ultimately, you know, everybody, you know, we control nobody but ourselves. And if somebody wants to go off and continue to damage themselves, then, you know, that is ultimately their choice. But uh, I, I mean, one of the interesting things when you think about any level of injury, I heard somebody say, uh, and they were talking about at the elite level, that you're only ever, you know, a, a minute percentage away from injury. At the highest level of performance, you're only ever just a tiny bit away from that injury. Now, if you take the person who works as a ground worker all week and they play for their local rugby club like Diggod or similar, uh, and they're coming in with a very, very sore back from overwork in that environment, then I have to try and advise them from the point of view of being able to play. But also, it's by the very nature of it, you're trying to advise them for work, for life. Yeah. You know? and, uh, and that's ultimately why, if you've got a passion for trying to decrease you know, people's pain and to increase their quality of life, then, you know, it's, it's, it's one and the same, really. It's just, you know, you won't do that with the elite, but you'll certainly do that with the person on an amateur level. Mm. I assume at this stage of the season, if I think about football, which is sort of kicking off literally in the next week or so, that there are lots of amateur people who are working towards the start of their season. And the likelihood is they're going to overtrain or overstrain at this point. Do you get a lot of people with those kind of conditions at this particular time? Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 one of the um, uh, one of the things that we always look for, um, and it's it's something we try and uh, advise as best we can about what is appropriate and what's how much you should be doing at any one time, you know, particularly coming back from any injury or any issues that people have had. So we'll talk about what's described as a step rehab program so that you're challenging to the point where you're pushing yourself a little bit each time. You take another step up, maybe it's in duration, maybe it's in speed, maybe it's in, you know, uh, any number of variants that you could add in. And you're trying to encourage that person to gently challenge themselves. Um, uh, and if they hit pain, you drop to the step below and you continue at that level and try again a little bit further once you've reintroduced what you were doing. But the, the, the reality of, of, of most people is that very often they'll go from zero and they'll say, well, I hurt my leg because I went out for a five mile run. You, say, yeah. you haven't run five bloody miles in a year. Why would you suddenly think you can do it? <laughs> yeah, so, people sort of try and load up duration, intensity, oh, yeah, distance yeah. all together yeah. rather than one of those at a time. And then look shocked when suddenly they're injured. <laughs> I, I can imagine, John, that there'd be a lot of people listening to you thinking, he's talked a lot of sense, this guy. Yeah. And you're not only dealing with the elite athletes, but at an amateur level and semi-professional level. What's the best way of getting in contact with you? How, how can we promote you in that sense? Well, you're very kind. Um, uh, to be honest, it, it's, it's really simple. Um, I'm on the Thames, just as you were today. However, I'm... Uh, sorry, this weekend or whatever you said, um, yeah. but I'm out in Wallingford, which is um, out on the Thames, north of Henley, south of Oxford, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, in a practice there. 
Um, and so people can contact me through, um, if you just search John McSweeney, uh, slightly funny spelling, M-C-S-W-I-N-E-Y. Uh, there's a website, there's various other possibilities. Um, I mean, it, you know, ultimately, what I would say to people is, if you have any issues and they're niggling you, they're concerning you, you're struggling in terms of getting into the sports and the activities you want to do, um, then talk to friends, talk to colleagues, ask where did you go? Who did you see? So don't put up with stuff. Don't put up with pain thinking that you can get through it, you can run through it. Talk to a professional, talk to somebody. You might find they'll just say, listen, there's not much I can do for you. I'm going to give you these exercises. Why don't you go off and do those? So approach anybody, be it physiotherapy, osteopathy, sports massage, chiropractors of the physical world and actually, you know, certainly get things treated. Don't put up with them. And if you play amateur sport for clubs where you know they're growing or they're changing, make sure you keep on, if you don't have any facilities, um, make sure you keep on to the powers that be at any of those clubs about encouraging people to come into clubs and start actually volunteering and helping because that's ultimately the way that more physical therapies will become available to people so uh, to be honest it's, it's very kind of you to promote me I think in reality what I want is any listener out there to seek help if they have any issues from any of the physical therapies but ask personal recommendations that's always the best way you talk Great. a lot of sense John really lovely to meet you tonight and hopefully as things progress we can come back to you and discuss some of the maybe specifics, but uh, to be able to talk to somebody of your experiences, Delta at the elite level, at Olympic level, particularly as we are in that at the moment, and to also hear your dedication to support even broken fingered coaches from Victor, <laughs> you really do get my vote. Fantastic. Lovely speaking to you. Thank you, sir. John, um, thanks ever so much. Pleasure. Cheers, Paul. See you later. Bye. Yeah, well, what a what a great guest, what a great guest, and I, I think with his experience, you can gain so much just from being given the time we've just given now to listen very closely. A wise, wise man, definitely, and and someone who, who I think brings a lot of energy and humour to what he does as well. It's, uh, it's certainly, I think, um, John, someone who is serious about what he does, but doesn't take himself or the profession too seriously. So, you know, brings a lot of energy and humor to what he does and certainly a great guy to work, work with. And certainly I'd, I'd, I'd strongly recommend him to it, to anyone in terms of his, his approach. Um, so yeah, great to have him on and him talking through uh, that, that elite experience as well, which obviously very relevant at the moment with the Olympics happening. Thanks very much, John. So Tony, how do you follow that? Yeah, as usual, after our first guest, we don't really have a dilemma on null and void. We always know what we're going to do. We're actually going to have a great second guest. And that second guest is actually returning on null and void tonight. I think it's fair to say by popular demand. Sarah Kirkham joined in the early days to talk about fitness and nutrition. So I'm delighted to say hello to Sarah again. How are you doing, Sarah? Hello both. I'm really good, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, really well, yeah. thanks, Sarah. Really well. Yeah. Now listen, listen, I want to start right right at the very beginning here because you've set yourself a, a fairly, um, um, well, it's a 13-week challenge. I'm 
intrigued to know what that's all about. Is that leading up to something bigger? What actually is it, Sarah? Um, thank you for asking. Yeah, it's a 13-week challenge because, um, firstly, I firmly believe that in fitness, wellness, life, whatever we're kind of like throwing ourselves at, it's really important to set ourselves goals, to kind of have a direction in where we go in and so we can measure ourselves to see how successful we are. And um, a big part of what I do is kind of test driving fitness and nutrition programs that I can then um, push out and offer to my clients. And we've got a really uh, new functional training program, which screams at me because it's right up my street. It's something that I really love doing. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this ahead of my clients. I'm going to try it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to look after myself. I'm going to get focused on the workouts, really focus on nutrition. Um, big part of it is mindset and confidence building, which is something that's uh, really important as I have committed and registered for a half Ironman next year. Um, so, yeah, so I've got a pretty um, hectic training schedule. But I wanted to do something that really kind of like flipped my mindset so that I could really have the confidence to, to, to do that. So it's more than just fitness. It's fitness, nutrition and the whole mindset and confidence building. And OK, well, listen, just just track back for a second, because there will be the listener that's listening now saying, half Ironman, what, what actually does that what's what's that made up of? Just explain that to us. Well, I have to say, I'm a little bit all the gear, no idea at the moment, um, but we all have to start somewhere. And I think that's an important message that I also like to send out to my clients. Um, but essentially, it is um, a 1.3k swim. It is a 55k bike, uh, bike ride and a 21k run. So it's uh, it's next year, 18th of June. But um, you know, I've been really sensible with my with my training plan. As I say, I've started. You know, I'm working backwards from where I need to be next year. Um, and you know, let's make no bones about it. I'm not looking to be a hero. I am just going to be thankful that I crossed the line. I think at the end of the day. Um, but uh, but yeah, working backwards. So that's what I've uh, that's what I've set myself up for. Brilliant. So and where, whereabouts is this taking place, Sarah? It's in Wales. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a pretty nice weekend away. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, lots of people have said, you know what, obviously it's going to be a bit hilly because we're in Wales. So it's probably uh, not going to be the easiest of runs and cycles. But, uh, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, if you're going to do it. <laughs> and is it a lake swim or a sea swim? It's a sea swim. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um, it's proper. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, excellent to have that as a target. Now, the other thing with your 13-week challenge, am I right that you've got team members doing the same thing? You know, so in other words, it's a team effort? Absolutely. So a big thing that I do in my wellness studio is um, every month I open up slots for ladies and gents to join me in what I call a boot camp. Um, now, essentially, what that is, is a week of preparation of looking at our food plans, working out the training program that works best for my clients, getting to know each other, 
Um, looking at how we buy our groceries, how we meal prep and how we plan for success. Then generally, we follow a three week programme that takes us to the end of the month. And at the end of that month, we then kind of reassess where we're at with goals, etc. Have we lost weight? Do we need to recalculate food plans? And then my clients have me for the next 11 months. So it's not a quick fix. And then we go on to the next programme. So this functional training program, this 13 weeks that I am following is a brand new program that I can offer my clients. And I've got a couple of people who have decided to jump in and do it with me. But essentially, the idea is that I test drive it. So when I can offer it out to my clients, I know how the workouts when I know how they feel. Um, and I know where I've maybe had a few dips or maybe where I've been successful. So when they ask me questions, I can give them the best ever i mean at the end of the day if you're going to ask your clients to do something i firmly believe that i would never ask them to do something that i haven't done myself i find that i think that's really important so leading from the front <laughs> absolutely leading by example <laughs> is there a science behind it being 13 weeks sarah because it's sort of an unusual number um <laughs> you know for, for that and just wondering if there was a science behind that there is actually, that's a really great question, Andy. It is, um, basically it's broken down into stages. So we have stage one, two, and three, and those are four weeks long. Mm -hmm. And join each of those stages. And incidentally, it's a brilliant program because it's suitable if you're new to training or if you're a more seasoned trainer, and even if you're pregnant or postnatal. So what we do is we focus a lot in stage one on quality of movement, moving really well and do lots of corrective exercises and almost looking for problems that we can iron out early on in the stages. Um, so the science is we do three weeks and then we have a deload week, which is a little bit of a recovery week. And then we move on to stage two. Now at that point you have an option. So if you've struggled with stage one and you're not quite ready to move to stage two, you can recycle stage one or you can move on to stage two. And then as we then move into stage three, the exercises become a little bit more complex in terms of how we put the moves together. We still have the deload week at the end of each of the four weeks so that we get a bit of recovery. And then the last week is when we go all in. It's like competition week. It's like we've worked for the last 12 weeks and in the last week we're going to see you know what we can get out of our body what we've achieved are we stronger are we fitter are we faster and actually at the end of it if you um if you complete all of the 13 weeks successfully there's actually a little bit of um a, a cash prize at the end which is quite oh, exciting wow. yeah in the form of um yeah a little bit of money that comes back to you which we shouldn't be kind of motivated by that but it's kind of nice to then get a t-shirt and say I've made it and you get a little bit of money back to uh to reinvest in yourself really so really cool fantastic yeah no it's uh it's great okay well just going back to the disciplines of of the Ironman which of those three, three disciplines would you naturally uh, favour? Um, I would say bike, first of all, because I've spent a fair amount of time in the saddle when I lived in South Africa. Cycling was a massive culture, so I would get out on the road. And um, I think if you can survive cycling around Johannesburg, you can probably get through <laughs> most things, really. Um, I would then say that swimming would be my second, though I have to say I did feel a little bit apprehensive about the open water. 
Um, and when I first went a couple of months ago, I went with the attitude of, you know, I'm not going to have too much expectation of myself. I'm going to acclimatise the water and just take it really steady. But I actually really surprised myself when I got in the water and um, I've been cracking on and absolutely loving it. I've got the bug and I'm there twice a week early in the morning. I cannot wait to get in the water. It's amazing. And Fantastic. Um, yeah, I think the the last thing is is the run. I think that's gonna that's my nemesis at the moment. That's the thing that um, I'm gonna have to really work on. But it's about mindset. I'm flipping it and I'm saying I've got this. I've got to put the training in. Um, and I know Tony and I have chatted previously about the best ways to kind of you know get up to you know get get where you need to be in terms of running. So I'm definitely going to be taking your advice there, Tony. <laughs> what good one. Now, and as someone who's done a half Ironman previously, Sarah, I can reassure you that, believe me, the hardest bit of the training, especially with the water, is actually getting the wetsuit on. If anyone knows how to get a wetsuit on without lots of effing and jeffing, please send your suggestions <laughs> into us because I haven't worked it out of 10 years of triathloning. You know what, you're so right. And I watched all the YouTube videos and I've got bags on my feet and my hands, the best way to get them on. And, you know, it's been quite warm the last few weeks and I thought I'm going to rock up to the lake in my wetsuit. So I've put it on at home. And by the time I've got to the lake, which is about a 15 minute drive, I'm literally cooking in my wetsuit and I can't wait to get in the water. So the temperature of the water is not an issue. I'm like, thank goodness I'm in the cool water. <laughs> And a little bird told me that, uh, well, I, I met Steph today and she was telling me that she's alongside you on, on the swimming, which is lovely. Steph was a previous yeah. who came and talked on Helen Void, obviously, as you know her well, um, about swimming. So she is that to help you along she, with her experience and so on? Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm so lucky in, you know, what I've what I've done in life in terms of my profession and the people that, that I know personally, I've got some real, um, some real cheerleaders and some real professional people to give me um, some hints and tips. So definitely Steph is giving me assistance um, in the water and whilst we can get into the lake, we'll do that. And then when it gets a bit cooler, we'll be going into the pool. Um, although I think now I've been in open water, getting into the pool is going to feel like a complete breeze. But yeah, it's been great. You know, Steph has given me lots of hints and tips. And um, that's also, it's been great for my confidence because she's, uh, you know, she's really helping me with that. And it's just nice to do something together. It's another, it's another avenue of meeting people, isn't it? And connections and just kind of broadening your, you know, your circle a little bit with like-minded people, which is, you know, it's something that I think is so important. So, yeah, I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. Okay. So if, if somebody's listening to this and saying, there's no way I'm going to do a half marathon, a, a, a half Ironman. So if but they want to set themselves a challenge, what sort of advice would you give to somebody who just wants to? Would, would it be start with a 13-week challenge or something like that? in a lower level, what would your advice be? Definitely. I, I mean, I think the whole ethos of what I do in my wellness studio, a big, oh. big chunk of it is 
mental uh, fitness as well as physical fitness and kind of just believing in ourselves and confidence building and surrounding ourselves with people that kind of really lift you up and are really positive that actually say do you know what you've got this you, you can do this but also being open to have people around you that can give you a bit of a nudge in the right direction and say I'm here to help you and you know I think that's what I do in my role as a personal trainer and in my role as a coach I do that for other people so I help people get started so it's really nice now for me to have somebody who who can do that for me so I would say just you know set goals see your end point and then work backwards and just see what you need to do to get to the point that you need to be at so it's all about starting somewhere and you know definitely a 13-week program or a six-week program or a an eight-week program there's so many programs to choose from in my studio um that i would just say it's about starting somewhere it's about just taking that first step and just having the confidence to uh to get going and or every small step in the right direction is is a win and it's going forward so you know just starting somewhere is really important not be intimidated in the sense of I don't have to be doing a half Ironman. It can be a much smaller level that's appropriate to their level of fitness and, and knowledge. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, fitness, health in general is about meeting somebody where they are currently at. And yeah, setting those small goals because every small goal accumulates something that is quite big and setting kind of like manageable chunks you know I have I have clients who just want to focus on wellness and fitness I have some that would just like to focus on nutrition and learn how to lead a healthy life and make healthy choices so it's not about doing everything together so it's not about feeling intimidated um, I'm going to do a, a few smaller events throughout the year just to kind of give me a taster and kind of I know that there are going to be some days when you know it feels really tough and you could kind of sit back and go gosh this is just too hard I can't do it but I think it's mindset and you know learning from where it's tough and where it's hard and just kind of putting that extra effort in where 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 we need to where we've got slight weaknesses but starting somewhere and I and I guess where people start with maybe one smaller goal and as they achieve that the confidence they get from that then compounds and gives them the opportunity to set another goal and sort of before you know it sort of the all those little one percent have added up to some really significant change for them absolutely I think and that is the important thing about having a goal because if you just kind of go day by day and you're not really setting yourself something to achieve you can't measure how far you've come Mm. and as you quite rightly said when you hit that first goal it doesn't matter how small it is or how big it is nothing can beat that feeling and that sense of achievement and that buzz and you literally feel like you can take on the world I know when I first got in the water a couple of months ago and the expectation of me was you know what if I just paddle on the sidelines in my you know professional wetsuit all the gear no idea doesn't matter if I go in and I just you know breaststroke along um have no expectations but when I actually got out of the water I was buzzing for the whole day because I surprised myself and I just felt amazing so yeah it's um once you start achieving and you feel you have that confidence to push on it literally you feel like you can take on the world it's um it's such a great feeling Okay, well, lovely speaking to you again. Now, one thing I wanted to say to you is there are bound to be, among our listeners, 
somebody saying, how do I get hold of Sarah? She talks an awful lot of sense. I'd like to get in contact. How, how do they best do that? That's really kind of you. Instagram is probably the best place to grab me. I am sassy.sarah2020. And I know um, we both kind of like share information with each other on there too. So yeah, drop me a message, get in, get in touch. You can tell I'm really passionate about all things health, fitness and well-being. So yeah, my door's always open for a chat. Brilliant. Thank you again for joining us. That's, that's uh, a real pleasure hearing what your latest challenge is and obviously obviously we're going to come back to you at the end of that perhaps uh, as you go towards your goal of the uh, half Ironman. That's so kind of you thank you very much for having me both and um, Mr Grundy I'm sure I'm going to be tapping you for a few uh, tips in the running department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'll do my best I'll do my best. <laughs> Anyway, I can help. Lovely speaking to you again. Cheers. And to you both. Thanks. Thanks so much, me. Sarah. Take care. Cheers. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Well, aren't we wow. lucky again, Andy? Two fantastic guests and very different subjects, but the same the same place we come from, which is we're getting new information, we're getting new challenges, as there were was it Sarah there. I think it's really exciting stuff. Yeah, really? def definitely. And, uh, you know, sort of to hear Sarah's excitement there about taking on the uh, the half iron man and the uh, the training for it. Um, as I said, I've, I've been there. I know that it's uh, it's not an easy route, but it is very, very fulfilling as you start to get there. She certainly sounds like she's enjoying the open water swimming a lot more than I uh, ever did. I think uh, I think, as we said with Steph, my uh, my coach very kindly uh equated my technique as like an octopus falling out of a tree so uh def definitely not my strongest uh suit out of the three three uh disciplines there but um great to hear sarah's doing that and uh yeah but as i said if anyone has got hints on how to get a wetsuit on and off easily please do send them in uh <laughs> because i've certainly not managed it all right and we're lucky enough obviously to have john earlier uh giving us the you know, the fitness side of things, the injury side of things, and an insight to even the Olympics that's currently going into its last week as we, we speak now. Um, but, the, you know, what we've, we even next week, we've been looking forward, we've got the start of the premiership. This business of sport never stops giving, does it? It's, it's there again. Only so, seems five minutes ago that we were talking about the FA Cup final and the Euros, and now here we are, the, uh, the merry-go-round starts again starts again so i think that hopefully next week billy Carr can join us because that will be lovely to hear his views uh, on on the upcoming premiership uh, now i always do say listen next week at a time and a place to suit you remember to listen out for the contact details they're actually really important to us and hopefully to you because you give us the feedback and that's really important as, as we gain more and more listenership uh, uh, as we go forward with Null and Void. So we look forward to, yeah, the contact details will come at the end of this podcast. And all of your comments are really appreciated. Andy? Yeah, and as I always say, folks, please give us a like, a review and a share 
on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you're downloading this, because again, that helps us share the show with even more people and get even more great contributions and feedback for us to uh, build the content. So yeah, please get on there and give us a like. Okay, see you next week. Bye. Thanks a lot, folks. Take care. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk. 